Hey guys, Thomas Kelly from Adelaide Strikers here, and you're listening to How's That, the cricket podcast. How's that? You missed about, I called you up. How's that? Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of How's That, the cricket podcast with me, Ollie. And me, Lily. So, we've got another bucket load of cricket to talk about. It's been a fair while since we've done a normal episode after the one year one last week, but we still do have a bit of WNCL and Big Bash to talk about. Yeah, so obviously, like you said, we've, we've had a big gap. Um, so we won't be able to talk about every single Big Bash match purely because there have been so many in the time that we've we've last spoke about cricket. So I think we'll just go over the, the most recent couple of games, talk about the ladder, talk about who's making finals, which is a little bit surprising. You know, there's a couple of teams who maybe didn't get off to the season they'd like to at the beginning, but have now made finals. So do you want to just get a crack on my Big Bash? You can talk me through sort of where we left off. So we're going to take a pretty much a bit of a deep dive from, from the 12th of December because that was the last time that our two teams played each other. Um, we're going to briefly run through from that point onwards to, to present, which is basically two weeks. Um, we have obviously had the house at Derby, the second one of the season, which the Stars won quite convincingly. Um, big win, nine-wicket win with over five and a half, well, five and a half overs left. Then we had the Scorchers beating the Thunder, um, Adelaide losing again to the Brisbane Heat and Stars somehow losing the Melbourne Derby. I don't know how we lost that. Um, Hobart beating the Sydney Thunder. The Sixers beating the Scorchers. The Heat beating the Stars. The Sixers beating the Strikers. You had the Scorchers then beating the Hurricanes. The Thunder beating the Renegades. Scorcher be- the Scorchers beating the Strikers. This is a mouthful. Hurricanes then beating, uh, then losing to the Heat, sorry. Uh, the Sixers winning the Sydney Smash. Brisbane beating the Stars again. The Scorchers beating the Renegades. Sixers beating the Hurricanes. Renegades beating the Strikers, and we are now back to present. So a lot, a lot's happened. You're right since we last properly spoke about cricket, and the tables had a little bit of a shake-up. Um, obviously, we've got the top two teams who've been the top two pretty much all season and pretty much for the last twelve years of the Big Bash in Perth and the Sydney Sixers. Then the Renegades in third, the Heat from nowhere are now fourth, Thunder in fifth, the Strikers in sixth, Hurricanes in seventh, and then the Stars, where we've been basically all season, propping up the league in eighth. I don't know how on earth Heat have just got all the way up to fourth and now in finals. Like, how how is that a thing? How do they go from, I'm pretty sure they were seventh, eighth throughout most of the tournament, and now they've somehow just won a couple of games and boosted up to fourth. It's pretty mental how this whole table's happened throughout the season. Yeah, it is. And I was saying as a Stars fan, look, if we can beat the Heat twice, we're a chance of potentially sneaking into the finals ourselves. But obviously the Heat then beat us twice, and that's how they've got up there with a couple of wins you know, sprinkled in, you know, either side of that or around that. Um, obviously, they've not had the greatest starts of the season, but like saying, they beat us twice, had a win over the Hurricanes, and yeah, they've come out of nowhere, really, but fair play to them. Um, they've won four games very, very quickly, obviously, beating the Strikers, beating the Stars twice, and then beating the Hurricanes. They're on a really good run at the minute, four on the spin, and they're in really good form, and, you know, you've got to be wary of them, I think. If they're winning four games in a row, they're in really good form, you know, they're peaking at the right time and yeah, they're going to make finals, which, you know, you'd have got good money on midway through the tournament. Well, that's it. The Heat, they actually had that really good game. Matt Renshaw, he made 90 or 56. And I think it was Bo Webster who was bowling the last over and they needed like eight runs or something off the last over. And there was dot balls and dot balls. And then I think he just like ramped it for, for four, which won the Heat the game, which I was like, it was risky, but it paid off. So I guess Matt right. Renshaw's pretty happy with that one. Yeah. Um, so a couple of good wins there and also Spencer Johnson. Now I just wanted to mention him because 
what what a player he's kind of shaped out to be. Obviously, the strikers had him in, in their back pocket for many years, never played him, I don't think. I don't think he ever played for the strikers unless he was kind of filling in or like a substitute fielder. And he has done pretty incredible things for the Heat. He, he's been relied on to bowl the death overs to win them the games. He's, he's bowled extremely well. He bowled well against the strikers. I think strikers are probably regretting letting him go and not playing him earlier on because what a talent he's turned out to be. It's been pretty impressive to watch him do what he's done over this season. But yeah, a bit disappointed by the strikers really, purely because they had such a good start to the season. You know, there's there's a couple of things that to that we positives that we can take out of the season, being the getting the Thunder all out for 15, which feels like years ago now. It doesn't feel like the same season. But Thunder all out for 15, which is definitely, I think, just one of the tournament highlights. I think the strikers have been involved in a lot of the tournament highlights, being the all out for 15 and obviously the game against the Hurricanes with uh, Matt Short scoring his 100 and winning the game, chasing down to 229. So a couple of really good games to look back on throughout the striker season. And unfortunately, we didn't quite make the finals, but I'll, I'll take it that we placed two spots higher than the Stars. Of course you will. Of course you will. Um, I, I, you know, personally, I'll take the two wins we had over you guys, but whatever works. Um, is, is mental how, when you look at the table now, off the back of the 15 all out, the Thunder are actually above the strikers. That's yeah. just peak, big bash, isn't it? Yeah, it, it shouldn't really work that way, I don't think. I don't think that that doesn't, like, just visually look right after no. the 15, but it is what it is. Um, yeah, I can't really do much about it, but, yeah, doesn't quite look right. But, like I said, it that 15 feels, like, so long ago now. It doesn't even feel like the same season, so... It is what it is, but yeah. So obviously going into finals, like you said, the playoff between Perth and Sydney Sixers is already locked in. And then Hobart play Brisbane tonight and the Stars play the Thunder tonight. So basically how the finals is going to work, it's going to be the Heat against the Thunder. So it's just fourth versus fifth. You're going to have to track us here. It's quite a, a weird one to explain. Fourth versus fifth is Heat against Thunder. The winner of that game will then play against the Renegades because they're in third. And then the winner of that game will play against the loser of Scorchers and Sixers. The winner of that game will go through to the final. So that little explanation is currently as the table stands. It's obviously that table could change if the Hurricanes win and Thunder lose. Hurricanes would then go into fifth. But basically, that whole table, you know, basically explains what it is. And obviously, if the Heat win also, they can leap above the Renegades. But that's basically as it stands. So just to explain it again, fourth play fifth. The winner of that game plays third and the winner of that game plays the loser of first versus second and the winner of first versus second goes straight through to the final. Are you with us? I think so. I think I'm with you. I, I think <laughs> I think so. We'll, we'll go with it. <laughs> I think that's, I'm pretty sure that that's right. Yeah, that's right. So it should be right. There's so many finals yeah. that, yeah. Ugh. With so what? many different names and it's so strange. Bring back the, the top four. Yeah. So we first versus fourth. It doesn't, it doesn't seem so right that someone in fifth is making a, a final. That doesn't really work. I don't think I don't think someone placing fifth out of eight deserves to really make it into a, like a semi-final. But, you know, is that just me being against Thunder? I don't know. Uh, no. Well, the thing, you know what the weird thing is, right? In this league, only three teams can miss out on finals. Mm. And two of them are, are how's that teams? Like, we yeah. talk about the how's yeah. that lock all you want. It's not very lucky. No, not for the teams, not really. Personal development, maybe, but yeah, not really yeah. the teams. 
So a must win for the Thunder tonight for them to make finals, but then the Hurricanes are also wanting them to win and Thunder to lose. So Hurricanes can make finals. Um, but obviously, like we said, this will this will be released after these two games have happened, so we'll know who will be in the finals when this is released. But yeah, that, that kind of wraps up the, the regular season of Big Bash. Obviously, we'll talk a bit more in depth about it during the final and that next week. So moving on to WNCL now, it's been a, a pretty jam-packed couple of weeks. We left off with Victoria versus New South Wales. Obviously, Victoria getting the double over New South Wales with the wins there. Then Queensland took on Victoria. Now, it was it was a quite a new Victoria team, wasn't it? A lot of new faces that you maybe hadn't seen before. A lot of debutantes. Um, but yeah, Queensland got the win by four wickets. Grace Harris being player of the match with 71 of 56. Um, but yeah, it's still quite a stacked Queensland team, isn't it? Like we said, the only person they've lost is Jess Jonathan. Other than that, they've got a really strong team still. So yeah, Queensland winning the first game by four wickets and then winning the second game by six wickets. So then ACT and Tasmania, who would have thought that ACT would have beat top of the ladder Tasmania? Winning by 11 runs, the videos were just, it gave me chills and goosebumps watching ACT win this. Gabby Sutcliffe took the wicket of Claire Scott to win the game for ACT. And if you haven't seen the video, go and check it out. It's probably all over social media and on Twitter as well. But what a win for ACT. They set nine for 261. And then Tasmania were all out for 250. I, I can't quite believe that just after we kind of released the episode with Olivia, her talking about, you know, if we keep on putting putting in our work, putting in putting in the practice, we're gonna we'll get a win. We don't think it's gonna be soon. And as soon as we release that, they they get their win, which was just amazing to see and yeah pretty tough for the ACT girls to be completely honest yeah like we've talked about like the how's that look all season we release an episode with the living quarter we chat to Macy Gibson Sarah Coit it works one way doesn't work the other does it sometimes you know sometimes you get lucky sometimes it, it doesn't go your way but look for the ACT side who've tried all year really to try and get a win and they've been Batters from pillar to post most weeks. They've been, you know, lost by 100 runs in cases or lost by a lot of wickets. And for them to get a win, yeah, what a result for them. You know, obviously buzzing for them. Uh, Tasmania as well, to, to get that scalp is, is unbelievable. So, uh, yeah, they can take that win and I'm sure they'll be buzzing with that for the rest of the season. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they will. And then moving on to the next game was South Australia versus New South Wales, which I actually did some commentary on, which was super fun. I got to commentate alongside Maitland Brown. Uh, because she was out due to injury. So she came up into the commentary box for a bit. Uh, this was my second game, obviously, commentating on the WNCL, which was amazing. I got to witness Annika Learoyd scoring her maiden 100 for the WNCL. She scored 131 and Talia Wilson with 76. Tough call for LBW. We don't quite think it was out now um, watching the replay. But yes, really, really good from Talia and Annika there. Um, but South Australia just too good. They kind of collapsed towards the back end of the innings, New South Wales. They just tried to go a little bit too hard and just lost their wickets there. Kate Peterson taking four for 56 off her 10. Amanda J. Wellington with three for 55. And Brooke Harris with two for 47. But then following 100, there's there's another one. Maddie Penner got 113 not out in this South Australian innings, but really supported by Gemma Barsby, who came out and scored 73 off 62 not out as well. Gemma's one of those ones who's really turning into quite a nice all-rounder, you know, she for 50 over cricket, so doesn't bat too much in big bash, but does really well with the ball and, and obviously can can hold a bat as well. So 
yeah, really good there. Josie Dooley made 64 and just single figures from everybody else. But a good win by South Australia, one that wasn't quite looking like it at the start of the innings, obviously losing Emma De Bruyne. Bridget Patterson early, but yeah, a really good result from the Scorpions there and a really brilliant game to to commentate on, that was for sure. Moving on to the second game between ACT and Tasmania. Tasmania did fight back in this one, won by 89 runs. It's so odd how this can happen. Obviously, ACT scoring 261 in the first game, not making all 50 overs the next game, getting all out for 197. It's just a bit odd how much it can change between the two matches. Good scores all around from Tasmania, really. Elise Falani, 45. Lazelle Lee, 49. Nicola Carey, 70. Naomi Stallenberg, 43. Heather Graham, 33. Yeah, again, Gary Sutcliffe with the ball, two for 57 off her 10. Holly Ferling with one. Carly Leeson with one. And Alicia Bates with one as well. Gabby Sutcliffe's actually one to watch out for, I think. She's she's done some pretty impressive things with the ball for ACT, and she's still very young as well. So you've got to keep an eye out for her, I reckon. Um. And then, yeah, just no no real huge scores from ACT. 63 from Katie Mack, 34 from Zoe Cook, and 24 from Carly Leeson. Again, not managing to get ACT over the line in the second game. And then, finally, we have the second game between New South Wales and South Australia. South Australia winning that one again by six wickets. Courtney Webb player of the match this time with 101 not out. And a 54 from... Emma Dubro, which is good after she you know, probably hasn't had too great of a season this back half so far. Um, but Anna Clearoid with 91 in the first innings, which was good. Uh, shame she couldn't just get over the line with another 100 there. But she's really stepped up for New South Wales since the loss of their Australian representatives. It's been really good to see the younger ones take lead and take control. And, and Annika's definitely been one of those ones. But yeah, a, a win like I said, six wickets to South Australia, and that concludes the WNCL so far. The ladder is looking like Queensland in first, South Australia in second, Tasmania in third, Western Australia in fourth, Victoria fifth, New South Wales sixth, and ACT seventh. I think the game to watch is definitely going to be South Australia versus Queensland, obviously two top of the tables South Australia haven't lost a game yet. Queensland have lost three, but are in really good form at the moment. So it's going to be super interesting to see who comes out top in those two games. So now we will move on to Australia versus Pakistan. They've had a few games over the recent time, obviously with Australia doing well in most of those games, which is, to be honest, to be expected. And they've had the ODIs to start off with and they've just moved into a T20 series as well. But yeah, basically it's no real surprise to see Australia winning those games. Um, and Phoebe Litchfield, for me, has been the star, um, you know, making her debut during this series and making a lot of runs. Yeah, she, she really has been the standout, hasn't she? I think she made, what was it, 78 and, and like 50 off, off her uh, two first games, which was, yeah, really impressive. But obviously with the, the ODIs now, Pakistan, like, it's, it's not really scores that you want to be getting in ODIs, obviously probably less experience playing them. But Australia managed to kind of beat their scores within 20 overs for most of them. The first game, Australia won by eight wickets with DLS. Uh, the second game, Australia won by 10 wickets uh, within 19.2 overs. And Australia won by 101 runs in the third ODI. So in the only T20 that's taken place so far, Australia did win that one. They've gone one up in the series. Pakistan Boulder, um, sorry, all out for 110 off their 20 overs. And Australia chasing that down 
with uh, 38 balls to spare, 13.4 overs it took them. So another easy win for Australia there. And they've, of course, got two more T20s before that series wraps up. And then you lead into some 50 over stuff. You lead into, you know, World Cup warm-ups and the like, which is um, going to be interesting to see how they go in the T20 World Cup. You obviously expect them, you know, if not to win it, to go quite far at least. So, you know, it'll be a good bit of practice, these three games against Pakistan, just to get them ready for that. Well, that's it, isn't it? These games and the little tri-series they had, I, I believe it was between Ireland and Pakistan as well. It's just like they, Australia just win and we know they win. And, you know, there's no real, like, too much tight competition here because they just win by so much and so confidently. So, you know, like, sometimes you just wish that it was, maybe they had these kind of series against just England or, England or someone who's, you know, going to put up, a, like, a bit more of a, a higher total for a team like Australia to be able to chase down. But, yeah, like you said, it's given them a lot of confidence, I think, going into this World Cup, and I guess we'll see what happens. But Megan Shute took 5 for 15 off her four, I think we should mention, which was obviously her first international 5 for, which you wouldn't really believe, um, obviously, the amount of cricket she's played and the amount of wickets she's taken. But, yeah, really good from her. Elise Perry opened the batting with 57, not out. Um, and all you, all you needed was that, with Meg Lanning with 14, Tally McGraw with 14, Ashley Gunner 13, and, and you've got the score. So, yeah, good from Australia, really. What what else can you say? But yeah, should we move on to our guest now? Yeah, we shall. So we didn't mention it at the beginning, um, but you would have heard in the intro that this week we spoke to Thomas Kelly, who is obviously Stryker's young gun and uh, Redbacks star as well. Now, I think some of the things we should we should mention before we get started was that obviously we spoke to Thomas before Strikers were kind of out of the big bash. But I think some of the things he said during the interview which we won't give away but I think some of the things he said obviously are relating to making finals and that kind of stuff but um the way he said it and and the way he went about it I think was really really valuable and I think a lot of people can take stuff out out of what he said so I think obviously we're going to keep it in the interview but it is a little bit dated um but yeah like I said I think some of the stuff he says is really important so uh we have kept it in there obviously for for a purpose, um, even though it is slightly dated. But tell me a, a bit about um, Thomas Kelly's interview and what you took out of it. Yeah, like, like you say, it is a bit dated, but I, I really like the way, you know, he spoke, he carries himself really well. You can tell that. And he, he just seems like a decent bloke, doesn't he? He just seems like a, a good guy, like someone, you know, you'd um, you'd love to go out, you know, and play cricket with, you know what I mean? Like you'd love to, you know, take in the field with. I feel like he'd be a fair bit of fun in the field, a bit of a... Maybe a bit of a Labashane type. We didn't chat if he does any sledging, but I feel like, you know, if he, you know, took his hand at that, he could do okay at it. But he wants to take his cricket far. We talk a little bit about his upbringing as well with um, with his brother Corey and, you know, the, the battles they had in the backyard over the years. It was a really good interview and a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. So enjoy our interview with Thomas Kelly. Oh, that one has got a bit of oomph about it. And that's all the way. First Toyota six of the night. And it's Thomas Kelly. There's a long time coming for the strikers in Kelly. Welcome. And thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. No worries. So do you mind just telling us where in the world you are at the moment and what teams you're associated with at this point with your cricket? Uh, I'm sitting in beautiful Coffs Harbour at the moment. Um, outside our little resort sort of room, which is nice. Um, Teams I'm involved with at the moment are obviously South Australia and this, and then just my club sides to back in Adelaide. Sounds like it's it's pretty good weather over there. Hopefully we'll get a game in. I think tonight, isn't it? Is this, the Strikers playing tonight? Are they? Yeah, tonight. Yeah, it's, yeah, Sydney Sixers. So yeah, only yeah. a few hours away, but a little yeah. humid. But 
should cool down a bit, I think, by this evening. We're glad the game's not here because it's awful weather here today. It's oh, I've, uh, I've heard that. <laughs> windy and rainy, so not too great. Yeah. But um, so yeah, you're currently in the big bash in the middle of the tournament. Thank you for taking some time out while you're you've got quite a busy schedule, I assume. So yeah, how has the the tournament been for you, and how have you found it with the strikers? Um, oh, it was, yeah, it's awesome fun. Um, travel around with some of your best mates and play some cricket. So the actual cricket side, we've obviously, we started really well and then struggled since then. But hopefully, same as last year, we get a bit of a run on leading into the finals, um, starting tonight and then Perth on Friday as well. But yeah, it's going all right. Wouldn't mind some more time at the crease. Or, well, time at the crease, if I get time at the crease, means we're in a bit of trouble early, but wouldn't hate some more runs personally. But yeah. Yeah, so so it's been, like you said, it's been um, a really good start to the season for the Strikers, and now it's kind of like must-win games. So what's the mood like uh, within the Strikers? Are there any specifics that you guys are really focusing on in order to, you know, win these must-win games now? Um, we're pretty calm, to be honest. Obviously, getting Kez and Eddie back helps, but um, we're sort of just, yeah, working on the basics and just making sure we're putting a decent score on the board for our bowlers to and probably lifting 5-10% to of the field as well, where we've been probably lacking the last, yeah, particularly since the first three games, been a bit poor in the field. So, and we know that and it's not good enough from us. So we're uh, doing a lot of practice on it and results will come eventually if you keep practicing them. Yeah, and yeah, no, we're obviously talking about the must-win games at the moment. You've, you've dropped a couple recently. Does the pressure rise now? Are you feeling the pressure rise within the squad? Is it something that within the dressing room you can tell that the pressure's out top or is it just another game? Uh, yeah, not particularly. We obviously we spoke about um, we definitely need to win two of the last three and potentially all three of them. Um, but, yeah, we spoke about it, but we'll, we'll sort of, we're pretty calm and relaxed and, having Kez and Hedy around just to keep that relaxed nature of out, particularly, yeah, just a bit more sort of calm collected. And like at the end of the day, if we play our best cricket, we will beat any side on the day. So that's all we're focusing on at the moment. And yeah, if we drop a game, we drop a game. Yeah, and obviously Alex and, and Trav have both had wonderful test summers for Australia. It's been a pretty uh, one-sided test summer from Australian point of view. What have they brought back into the strikers squad that they've, um, they've you know, imparted on the rest of the team? Um, yeah, they've yeah been outstanding since they've come back. They've only there's only a second game, obviously. Had a little bit of time at home with their beautiful young families, but um, no, they they're outstanding. I just bring that yeah calm, collected nature that, that particularly yeah Kez as well, who's just so cool and calm, and Eddie's a bit more of a larrikin, but yeah, no, they're just outstanding and just a refreshed vibe in the squad, especially after losing Linny as well to uh, obviously the Dubai League or Abu Dhabi League, one of the two, but. No, it's a bit more refreshed now and feels like we're sort of starting it again and hopefully get on a roll tonight and all through the finals. Yeah, so if we just take things back ever so slightly, obviously you have grown up as a twin alongside Corey, who's also playing cricket. What was that like as an upbringing to have two of you very talented cricketers, you know, playing alongside each other in the backyard? Yeah, um, great question. It was, oh, it's always obviously outstanding and... Um, Pretty tough decision for him last year to step away from the game professionally. Um, so proud of him for doing that. And he's playing some brilliant cricket now for Sturt again back that late. But yeah, it's, it was pretty cool growing up. Mum wasn't a huge fan of it, particularly when we decided one day to use a proper cricket ball in the backyard. Mum went straight through the laundry window. So I was into that. But no, nah, she's, yeah, it was awesome growing up with him. And it definitely made us the cricketers we are today. Obviously having that extra, pretty much training partner your whole life. So yeah. And there was a, there was a, 
quote from an interview that your dad gave to cricket.com.e that I really wanted to expand on. Um, obviously, former AFL player with, with Adelaide and was on the list of Collingwood, but he said that one of you had been speared in the forehead with a stomp, but couldn't remember which was which, who was the instigator, and who, who well, got it copped? Who got it copped? Was it you? <laughs> I've got <laughs> the So, nah, it was, that was, to be honest, that was when we were, I think we wouldn't have even been at school yet. We were that young, and it was only a tiny little stump, but I, remember, I still remember it. I was a couple of stitches just patched me up, but. Not as bad as what we make it out to be on the front. Nowadays, I'm like, I obviously put a better mouth on my survivor spearing and a stabbing. And <laughs> yeah, it was only just a stump that he threw at me. Yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, so so I guess growing up with obviously, you know, AFL influence within your family um, and you are now a cricketer. So what, what changed? You know, was AFL ever on the cards for you? Did you play that? Or what kind of dragged you towards cricket? So um, yeah, growing up, yeah, yes, there definitely was AFL influence. Um, well, Aussie rules. Um, probably not. Didn't have to choose between because I was I was okay at footy, but I was never going to play AFL. But like, loved playing footy and probably enjoyed playing football more. The actual game of it, but depth, the mates and the mateship of cricket and like spending all summer and particularly at your club as well, which I absolutely love. Um, stir back in Adelaide, so. Yeah, just the whole sort of idea of spending the whole sort of twice a week and then Saturday, sometimes Sunday with your best mates is what drew me to cricket. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, and then I guess to for, for your pathway to get to where you are now, what was your, I guess, I guess your junior pathway and then a bit more of your senior pathway to, to get to the, the position you are now? Yeah, so professional cricket was sort of never really on the cards. Um, it was sort of almost stuffs upon us a bit later in our sort of teenage years. Like, we never thought about playing professional cricket or even state cricket growing up. Like, never really tried out for state teams and uh, had a couple of good years with Sturt one year and then um, as juniors and then obviously had to go and play school cricket and stuff then. But, yeah, then decided one year, yeah, we'll try for the 17s, made that, and then ever since then, it's been sort of full steam ahead and thrown into, yeah, teams that were a little bit older then and, yeah, so played A-grade when I was 16 and haven't looked back since, particularly at Sturt. So um, that's sort of the pathway growing up. So 17s and 19s for SA and then rookie contracted after the 19s year. And then now luck, lucky enough last year to get a chance at Big Bash and then, yeah, haven't looked back since. So it must be like, you know, pretty cool to think that a lot of your, well, all your cricket's been based here in South Australia because a lot of people move teams and, you know, go and find opportunities elsewhere, but you've been able to stay in your home state and represent your state. That must be a pretty cool um, feeling and experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's probably the best bit about playing, I think, particularly for South Australia and Adelaide as well, is just the passion I have for South Australian cricket. And obviously we've been pretty average for a long time, um, particularly in the Redbacks sort of side of things. And I've never seen a Shield win myself. Um, so the only, yeah, so to win a Shield for SA would be a dream come true and bring some joy back to all the fans who, the fans of SA cricket, who obviously stuck around with us for well, almost close to 30 years of hard times now. So, um, yeah, it's pretty cool sort of being able to say I play for my own state. And, yeah, it was a bit of a joke going on. There's only three of us now playing for them as well. 
Yeah, and then, and then I guess going on to your debut for for South Australia, you made it in 2021 in November um, against Queensland in the Marsh Cup. Now you yep. made this debut, but you also made it alongside Corey as well. So how special of a moment was that for you? And, and what was that whole day like? Yeah, that was pretty cool. So Corey played all the one days he before and then was left out of the team early doors in that season. So for him to get a game as well, um, was I was more stoked for that. And then, so we knew he was playing and then I found out I was playing probably a day later, which was, you know, I was absolutely pretty rattled by. Um, I'd had a good, decent start to the year with, club size and the trial games but nothing like it was only one or two hundreds in yeah probably 10 or 11 games to start the year so it wasn't a huge amount of runs but um lucky enough to get an opportunity didn't get many myself but um came in at the end after Hedy and Kez absolutely smacked them but yeah it was out it was so much fun to be living out your title dream on that late over as well I was saying both your names on that uh, historic scoreboard as well it was pretty cool yeah, no, it must be, I can imagine. And then to kind of transfer over to Big Bash, now playing for South Australia, that's quite a different thing to then play Big Bash cricket. So what was that like to make your Big Bash debut in BBL 11 last year? Uh, it was The game was certainly different because it was a game, obviously, in COVID, so Perth had their border shut. So the game got moved from Perth to Sydney, but the same TV time slot. So the game was actually at 10.30pm Sydney time. So... The physical game itself was a bit strange, man, over two days. And I think I, I think I remember Liam Scott was playing turn 21 during the game. So that was pretty cool. But no, it was awesome. It was so much fun. Um, we'd, had a sh- we'd had a really bad start, poor start to the year. I think we only won one of four games before I debuted. So get thrown in. No real expectations, obviously. And I think Perth made an absolute, yeah, they made a bucket of runs. Probably over 200 and came in and we still needed like 100 off eight overs. So not as... Obviously, try and score quickly, which was probably better. Didn't really have to think about trying to work my way through an innings. It was sort of just full steam ahead and lucky enough to get a few over the rope there. And yeah. It must have been, an, well, it was obviously a very odd season to watch. So to be in that season and, and make your debut in that COVID season must have been very strange. Um, so can you like give us a little bit of like an insight as to what it was like within that team, within the tournament uh, during when all these teams were getting like affected by COVID and everything that could possibly happen yeah so before Christmas it was pretty well just like live normally but don't go inside to restaurants and pubs really like stay outside and like be smart about it sort of common sense which most of us lack at times um but yeah it was uh post just before Christmas I moved into the Adelaide Strikers Hotel in Adelaide um which is a bit strange for a local boy to do that because that's normally for the interstaters um, but I moved in just because of, well, I had a brother, sister, mum and dad who were all, well, Lucy was at school, my sister. And then the other three were at work. So there was pretty high risk that, you know, one of them could bring COVID home. I moved in and lucky I did because my dad got COVID on Christmas Day um, from my family. And then after that moment, once, pretty much after Christmas, we were in, got moved to a hotel in Melbourne. Um, so we lived in Melbourne for close to a month, really. And we sort of flew to every game the day of almost because Melbourne was just a lot more centrally located. So it was easier to keep everyone there and away from um, sort of everything. And yeah, I remember flying to Brisbane the day of a game um, and we flew out afterwards at midnight, got back to Melbourne, sort of got to our hotel at like 2.30am, I think. Um, It was a bit strange, but yeah, it's good this year being able to get around the fans again, um, which is the best part of the job. Um, without our fans, we don't have a job personally. And 
um, yeah, it's it's the best part, and I absolutely love it. So quite often it'll be the last one out there, well past sort of 10, 30, 11 o'clock, um, making sure every kid goes home with a smile on their face. Wow, that's brilliant. Um, but like you said, you know, it, it must have been super odd to just um, have your first kind of real taste of Big Bash quite isolated. And like you said, couldn't quite yeah, meet the fans, do anything like that. And then to go back into it this year and it just be normal, like, you know, no seats blocked off, 40,000 people coming through the doors. You know, that yeah. must have been pretty cool. Yeah, that was because um, I remember as a kid growing up too, obviously, um, sort of like, the really sort of peak days in the BBL when it was only three or four home games definitely contributes to the smaller crowds now. I think obviously more. I remember, yeah, growing up, it was 45,000. It was unbelievable. That was so much fun. And obviously didn't get the result we wanted, but still a sort of day I'll never forget really coming through the gear. It's a lot. It's so much more fun. Last year was incredible, but this year it's just another level, obviously with the fan engagement and sort of everything being back to normal. But it is quite strange when you say 12 months ago, we were literally in a bubble and couldn't see, see or like, see or do anything. Sort of stuck in your hotel, go for a walk or whatever, but couldn't, couldn't go to the movies. Well, obviously you talked about the, you know, the 40,000 Adelaide Oval and growing up with that, but what was that like to, to play in? Obviously it was absolutely crazy. I was, you know, fleeing from Melbourne to watch it. Like the atmosphere was mental, but what was it like to stand out there in the middle and play in front of that crowd? Yeah, it was every time you look up in the field or, or even just do something, you literally throw the ball in the crowd and get around you. Or he, like my brother was on the hill with all these mates and they had a few beers, so they get like start heckling you. And yeah, it was it was um it's just this it was well as a player like you find that extra five or ten percent of energy and yeah it was I can't I can't really describe it because the stadium was so big and beautiful that and it was pretty much full full to the rim. Like obviously a few top row seats were a bit empty, but the members was packed and all the standing area and the lower lower levels were up, full to the brim. And yeah, it was just kids kids everywhere. It was so good to see. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, as, as fans, we go to games and we obviously go and support our teams and everything. But as a player, like how much do you thrive off, you know, cheering or noise that the fans make? Is it something that can give a team or yourself, you know, 5 10% that can maybe get you over a line in a game? Um, Definitely in the field. When I'm batting and I'm not... Because you're so focused when, particularly when, I can't speak for anyone else, but myself, you sort of don't notice it at all. Um, but definitely in the field, you, you definitely, especially if you miss field one or drop a catch, you 100% notice it. So, <laughs> well, like every crowd, even the home crowd, loves giving you a stick for, you know, fumbling one or dropping one. So, um, yeah, can only speak for myself when I'm batting that it, I sort of don't notice it at all. But, yeah, particularly in the field, it definitely does lift you. Yeah. And you've been you've been a regular in the striker squad, so you've you know had a chance, especially this season, to play in front of you know crazy crowds. Adelaide Oval, Adelaide strikers fans turn up every week. How much of an honour is it to to play in front of them and to get those interactions with the fans every time you get to uh, step out there on Adelaide Oval? Um, oh, it's particularly important for me as well because I remember doing it as a kid, um, you know, waiting around for an autograph. I remember getting headies one year when I was he would have only just been starting out, but I would have been yeah eleven or twelve years old, and there's nothing better than going home. As a kid, you know, like meet one of your heroes, and um, so that's what I enjoy. Yeah, obviously at times you sort of want to get back in the room and deal with your mates, but it, there's no point sending kids home disappointed because at the end of the day, they're they're what we play for, and the reason we have a job and are able to play cricket at the level we do is because of because of the fans and the kids. So yeah, I absolutely love sending. Yeah, getting to every kid I can around the ground, and um, yeah, it's just awesome to have fans back. To be honest with you. <laughs> 
yeah. yeah. That Travis Head story is brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Love that. Have you have you brought that up to him? Have you reminded him about that? Have you gone, you know, I've, I've, I got your autograph when I was younger. Is that something that's been re-talked about? Uh, definitely a couple of years ago when I first started with the Redbacks. Yeah, I was like, God. And like, I had a, caught up with Ferg because Callum Ferguson's um, commentating our games tonight. So I caught up with him last night for dinner as well. And um, I remember as a kid, like, he was one of my idols growing up. And now that, you know, you're just mates and you go out for dinner and have a beer with them. It's, yeah, it's pretty cool. So, but yeah, I definitely, particularly early doors, Redbacks, I was like, this is unbelievable. I'm playing, I'm training with my heroes now. So, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and I guess to kind of stay on, you know, the strikers and Adelaide Oval and everything. Now, one of the games that, well, me going to every home game, the game that will stick out to me is that, that one against the Hurricanes and then to follow on against with the Renegades. Now, what a game, can I just say, against the Hurricanes? Incredible. Did not yeah. think that that was going to be a chaseable score whatsoever. 229. We haven't heard much from people aside from Matt Short. So for you, can you give us a little bit of like a, you know, what was the team talks before you went out to try and chase down this score? And yeah, what was the, the chats after they made 229? Um, obviously, it was an absolutely beautiful weekend. Carl Hoover's favourite saying, batting coach shots. It's a beautiful service, beautiful service. It's a great service. So um, it was outstanding, um, obviously, the chase. But but between innings, you don't have much time to sort of get ready regardless. So uh, it was pretty much we're just talking around in the rooms while we were padding up and obviously having Lenny and stuff there going, like, if we start well, we're a serious chance here, particularly with our batting lineup. Um, and it sort of was, didn't, didn't really feel like, obviously, you know, oh, yeah, whatever, uh, 2.30. Right, I mean. Um, but once we were sort of six or seven overs in and around the rate and like, we got on top of a couple of their um, bowlers as well. And we knew they had an inexperienced bowling line up. We sort of thought we were half a sniff here. And it got to the 17th or 18th over and I was next in. And it gets, because usually we don't mind sending Rash out for a little bit of a hit. Oh, look, I'm absolutely packing at this point. Oh, God, what if I screw up this this what, record run chase? Oh, could be on me. Adelaide will hate me. I'm looking over at Dizzy, he goes, you're still in. Gets to like the 9 I'm like, it's Rash going in, mate. He goes, no, nah, mate, you're still in. So got to the point where I was sort of like trying to handball it off because I was absolutely hacking it. But at the same time, I would have loved the opportunity to be out there for it. But oh, I, I'm also not complaining. That, and it was an unbelievable knock. Probably one of the best, up there with Hedy's 100, um, one of the best 100s I've seen um, live as well. So yeah, Hedy's New Year's Eve 100 was also pretty good. But yeah, that's definitely up there. Yeah, yeah. There's there's been a few, hasn't there? There's been a few like boundary hits that have got the strikers over the line, and Jake yeah. Lehman's like one six to win the game is also one that that will stick in a lot of people's minds, I think. Um, but I guess to go to the the Renegades game now, this was also a, a good one, and um, sort of roles reversed for the Hurricanes, you know, setting the score and and what was the chat like there, and yeah, what was that game like as well to get another such a good win at home? Um, yeah, it was. Pretty cool. Yeah, important for us to win, obviously. I think it was square with the ledger at that point at four and four or five and five, maybe, or four and five. So this was to get even, I think. Um, so a very important game for us in our season. So we knew we'd just go out and bat the way we did the game before. And probably not 230s, obviously, you're not going to get that every week. But we knew, obviously, with our batting line, if we bat, we'll, we'll always be around the 190, 200 mark Adelaide Oval on it. It's a beautiful wicket, too. So um, yeah, it was pretty cool. And then yeah, to back it up, with the boys to back it up with the ball as well um, was outstanding. And, yeah, pretty cool, another win. Um, so, fingers crossed. Yeah, if we bat first tonight, we can do something similar. 
yeah yeah absolutely and this was the thing like something that I kind of picked up from watching it was when we set to 200 what was it 202 or something like that I was sitting there and I was going like right you know good score but they managed to chase down 230 the other night so I'm not going to be too confident because we're still 30 runs short but it's okay we we had it it's fine but to go over to the rest of the big bash now the the women managed to win the WBBL did that give you guys and the strikers BBL team that kind of drive and, and push to kind of go right we we need to level it up and you know back up a win after the WBBL win and yeah win it for the BBL wouldn't that be cool WBBL and BBL on the same season um obviously yeah oh, don't need too much extra encouragement to try and win a win a flag but yeah it was pretty cool seeing well we I like to call them the teammates because we're still playing for the same club so um it was pretty cool yeah seeing them seeing them get the win and yeah you never know. Hopefully, we can we can come good again this year. But um, oh, it definitely lifts the city a bit in the franchise, and particularly Saka as well, um, being based at Saka. So, yeah, fingers crossed uh, that gives us a little bit of inspiration going into the tonight and then Friday, and then if we win that one, hopefully, yeah, the final series. Yeah, well, the Scorchers did it last year, um, so I think it's the Strikers' time. You know, the the Strikers WBL one and the BBL them. BBL team one so it's our year I reckon I'm feeling it I'm feeling good let's hope this isn't <laughs> this doesn't <laughs> <Fingers crossed. laughs> yeah. yeah yeah exactly obviously with the strikers now we've got the I know it was on channel seven the other night they called it the new bash bros obviously you know going all the way back to Lynn and McCullum in the heat days now it's Lynn and Matt Short with uh with the strikers obviously Linny's gone off but those two have been immense at the top order for the strikers this season you know what's that been like obviously because you're a few few down you know if you know, a couple of early wickets fall, you're in next kind of thing. But what's it been like just sort of sitting back, feet up with, you know, just watching them, you know, do their thing at the top of the order? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, definitely not complaining at all, having my feet up, put it that way. Uh, no, nah, it's outstanding. Um, Shorty, oh, we, we knew it internally, particularly going into last season where he had his breakout year and this year as well. Um, we knew he was always always on for a big year and you play enough games now that he's never going to miss out more times than not. So he'll, he'll, he'll get your starts. And then he ca- he's obviously cashed in a couple of times this year with some bigger scores. So um, it's been outstanding. But yeah, Linny as well. Geez, that was pretty cool to pick him up. I remember texting you straight away when I found out. And Colin had gone on as well. Um, but yeah, particularly Linny, I was going, this is going to be outstanding as a young 21, 22-year-old now um, to play with. Yeah, well, probably the best ever to do it in the big bash was pretty And to watch it as well. Like his power is unbelievable. Like it's like nothing I've seen before. So he really is something different. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously alongside alongside Colin de Grandhomme, you've got, you know, you had Rashid Khan in. Obviously, we know Rashid Khan brings because he's you know been doing it for years for strikers. But you've had Adam Hose come in as well this year. Uh what have they all brought? You know, Rash, Adam Hose, and Colin de Grandhomme. Have they added something new to the strikers, particularly Hose and de Grandhomme, given it's their, you know, they've not been here too long in Adelaide and I've not been playing too many games for the club just yet. Yeah, so obviously we know what Rash brings every year. Um, didn't have his greatest year wicket-wise, but still outstanding with his economy and in the field and had a nice little knock on New Year's as well. Um, but yeah, Hosey and Colin are outstanding. They just bring that sense, obviously a huge amount of experience between the two. It'd be, have to be close to 500 games between them in T20 cricket, I'd imagine. Um, so the experience they bring is unbelievable. And yeah, just the things just as a young boy you just pick up and learn off them. Um, you're all you're all ears when they're talking in the chat rooms, and yeah, it's they're definitely bringing something new to the team. Um, Hosey, obviously, with his 
sort of power game through the middle, like to sort of knock it around when we need him, or he can power straight away and he's hit some massive sixes here. And then Colin, particularly as well, coming in at the back end at five is like a few innings as well has been outstanding. Just the way he hits the ball, he's a test cricketer, so everyone knows what you're going to get with that, and he's just outstanding. And his little little leg breaks, we call them as well. So no, they're, they're outstanding for the group as well. They've been awesome, um, slotted in perfectly, and yeah, it's it's pretty cool to have a couple of different accents around. <laughs> To move on slightly, um, obviously, you know, your best cricket is still ahead of you. We hope and we're sure that it is. Uh, what are your goals for the future now? Obviously, be it with the Strikers, be it with South Australia or, or even Australia, perhaps. Um, obviously, the common one is baggy brain. It's uh, play for Australia is obviously, yeah. But for me, uh, I've touched on it before, is literally to win a shield for South Australia, um, to win team. I, lo- I love team success and still involved with a couple of local footy clubs. Um, not playing, but just around and sort of floating around, just being a pest a bit. It's a couple of, like, particularly my girlfriend's club and then my best mate's club on Kangaroo Island as well. So um, I love team success and what it does for people and communities. Yeah, to bring a shield home to South Australia. Pretty amazing. That would yeah, be would pretty be. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> certainly, certainly, for your, certainly from your side, it would be, I reckon. Um, now, have you got a favourite cricket memory? Favourite cricket memory? <sighs> Bowling Thunder at 15 was unbelievable and just more, more, not so more so that, just more so the chain room after. We sat in the chain rooms till probably 1am. Um, I think we're drinking VB actually, it's what they gave us in there. So <laughs> Definitely my favourite cricket memories have to be off the field, like after good wins. Um, yeah, BBL level, state level or yeah, the win after my, so my Shield debut, we had a win. That was the rooms after that, we had the whole squad in there. The whole Osaka was pretty much there, sort of being close to 50 to 60 people in the chain rooms just at the end of the season. So it was knockoff time. And yeah, it's probably my favourite cricket memories after that game, after the win, um, singing the same song, which not many of us knew the words to. But yeah, so definitely after sort of post, post good wins are definitely my favourite memories of cricket. Yeah. You know what? I completely forgot about that. That 15 all out feels like, like a lifetime ago, honestly. I didn't even remember it was a season. Like, but watching that game was like it felt like a highlights reel the way that the wickets fell was like a highlights reel but it was real time which was crazy um I feel like we we haven't even touched on that and that's such a game to to speak about but what on earth happened on that game you took the catch for the last wicket I I think I remember um yeah what on what on earth I haven't even got any a question for it but can you can you just tell us a little bit about it because it was absolutely insane um yeah so we remember I remember Linny saying, particularly in the roads after, let's bowl seam up because they bought a lot of cross seam into the wicket, which is generally quite typical at um, Showground Stadium. Like the wicket's generally dry and slow. But I remember Linny saying he got a couple that would seam up that did a fair bit off the wicket, like a sideways movement. And they didn't really bowl any after that. They sort of bowled into the wicket and tried to restrict us instead of take wickets. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember, yeah, Linny, obviously all the experience in the world, goes, let's just bowl seam up, hit top of off. Just, just short of top of off and see what happens. And yeah, sure enough, oh, we we're lucky they nicked him and we caught absolutely everything as well. So, and then yeah, Wes and Thornton obviously that night did, didn't miss really. They'd hit that little box outside off stump and yeah, they just kept nicking them. <laughs> yeah. And, and I guess you were like, you were, yeah, front row to, um, to, to just watching just this team absolutely collapse. Like that must have been, you know, you, well, you, yeah, you were in the field, um, had to take a couple of catches, but, you know, you weren't bowling it. So that must have been pretty cool to just be able to stand there and just like 
were you just like, what is going on right now? Like, what on earth is happening? Yeah, you sort of in cricket, obviously, you, you always it happens a few times that your teams are three for five or you know, four for ten or whatever, and have struggling. But they always get a partnership. So I was thinking, oh yeah, four for five, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm gonna. I'm talking with Colin in the field a bit, and since oh, I'll get a partnership here, we just got to be on because we still didn't have a big total. Let's be on and make sure it's not a too big a partnership. But once I was sort of seven for ten. You're sort of like, we're actually going to bowl these blokes out for not much here. Yeah. So, yeah, it was unbelievable. I didn't really believe that happened until after the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it says a lot that their top scorer was, you know, scored four and it was an, it was an edge, which <laughs> says a lot. It's quite yeah, funny. I was, I was, so, oh, good mate of yeah, friend and dog with South Australia, obviously. Um, there's three things I've heard that are pretty loud in Big Bash cricket. Travis said 100. I was live there. Rashid Khan's hat trick was loud as, and the third one was 5,000 people at Showground Stadium when Brendan Doggett did one before. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of the loudest things I've ever heard. <laughs> it was brilliant. Yeah, what you said before. It was, um, I mean, when we were sitting here watching that and we saw him you know, edge that floor, we were just like, oh, well, they've got some sort of runs, which is better than what, <laughs> like 11, I guess. But yeah, no, what, what a game. I think yeah. one that is going to be the talk of the, the tournament for sure. Um, for you, that must have been pretty odd to be a part of that. And, you know, you personally forever can say that you were part of the the, the big bash game that got the team out all out for 15. You were a part of that. Yeah, that's true. Um, sort of haven't really thought about that. But, yeah, I guess we are all part of history now. Um, <laughs> don't know if hopefully it never gets beaten. You'd yeah. like to think not. But, yeah. No, nah, it was yeah, it's pretty cool to think about when you, you sort of put it that way. Yeah. When you when you when you actually put it into context, not only is it the lowest scoring Big Bash history at the minute, it's the lowest T Twenty scoring history, and uh, and you took the catch for the tenth wicket, so uh, you sort of finalised history, I guess. Well, lucky I caught it and didn't didn't spill it, go through my hands for then. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those like when when that happens, the the fifteen for nine, nine fifteen, whatever way you read it. That ball's coming to you. You're just thinking, "Oh my word, this is mental." I'm about to take a catch to dismiss a team for 15. I uh, didn't really have too much time to think about the catch, but I guess yeah, afterwards you're sort of like, "Oh, yeah, I guess that did really happen." Um, yeah. It was more more cool because it was uh, Henry's birthday, so to take a catch to get him his wife was pretty cool as well. I, I yeah. don't think I don't think Henry Thornton's going to have a better birthday because he's taking yeah. a fifer. <laughs> To dismiss the team for 15. If he has a better birthday than that, it's going to be a bloody good one. That's right. It must be taken four for two, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a, a double hat trick or something, whatever. Yeah. Oh, it's unbelievable. So now we've just got uh, to wrap up a couple of like quick fire questions. Um, some are cricket related, some are not cricket related. So we'll just get going with those ones. So the first one being red ball or white ball cricket? Red ball. Okay, good. Um, now, if you were stuck on a desert island, hypothetically, hopefully, what person would you take with you and what two things are you taking? What person would I take with me? I'd probably, my girlfriend won't like this, but I'd probably take my twin brother and my best mate because he's quite handy. Um, two things we'd take. God, it'd be something stupid. <laughs> <laughs> probably if we're on an island, so there's ocean around, we're definitely taking a fishing rod. Okay. Um, yeah. So you can get some food and... You're gonna have to say matches or something, or a firelighter or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, there's, you've, there's obviously a bit of strategy there with the fishing rod because then you can catch your own food. So you don't have to bring food. So you know, smart, smart, yep. smart. Yeah. Yeah. So now, what is your favourite shaped flavour? Barbecue. 
Good, good one. Beach or backyard cricket? Backyard, because I'm not a huge fan of the beach. I got a bit burnt yesterday at Coffs Harbour Beach, so <laughs> first time I've been to the beach in about a year, so <laughs> backyard yeah. for me. Yeah, fair. Um, now, pineapple on a pizza, yes or no? Uh, not fast. Okay. If it's there, yeah. you'll have it. Yeah, if it's there, sure. oh, yeah. Sure, sure. Um, now, orange juice or apple juice? Apple. Good. Favourite cuisine? Oh, pub. <laughs> <laughs> that is a first. I can tell you that is a first. We've not had that one yet. Not, not wrong with a good palmy, a palmer, I should say. Even. That's right. Yeah, palmy, yeah. Yeah. Or a steak every, steak every now and then as well. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Um, now, if you're on a game show and you were about to win a million dollars, but you had to phone a friend or a teammate or whoever it may be, who are you phoning and why to win you that million dollars? Who am I phoning and why? Who have we got here? It's not Harry Conway. Oh, he's quite intelligent, though. <laughs> <laughs> He'd have to be Matt Shaw, I think. He's just so okay. cool and calm under pressure, and he's quite intelligent as well, So right. and very wise. Yeah, cool. we'll go Shorty. Sure, good answer. Um, now, this one is the final one. It's a bit of a how's that legendary question. Is porridge a cereal, yes or no? Porridge is a cereal. Well, it is a cereal when you think about it, because oats are a cereal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to say yes. You're going to say yes. Interesting. Yes. Okay, sure. What's um, been it's... the common one? Um, recently, it's been yes, but at the start, yeah. it was kind of no. So it's it's honestly, yeah, I'm going right. to put a, I'm going to put like a tally and do everybody <laughs> on each side so we can actually find out the number because it's it's It'll be close i reckon yeah i reckon it'd definitely be close yeah um yeah yeah interesting um but you're on the yes side good to know um so yeah that that's all the the questions all the best of the game tonight we'll be watching on um i will be and cheering on all the best and um yeah hopefully we can get a strikers win thank you for joining us no worries at all. Thank you. Appreciate that. See you guys. Oh, that one has got a bit of oomph about it. And that's all the way. First Toyota six of the night. And it's Thomas Kelly. There's a long time coming for the strikers in Kelly. So that was our interview with Thomas Kelly. Obviously, strikers young gun, red bucks young gun. Um, yeah, as we said off the top, it was brilliant to, uh, to speak to him. Obviously, uh, with the season that the uh, the strikes having not quite going the way he wanted, but hopefully for his sake, the Redbacks can uh, can keep going once um, their domestic stuff resumes. Yeah, and and like you said, he's definitely one to keep your eye on for the future. I think obviously his bright talent and you know playing in the the strikers when um, you know at, at at his age, I think is really really looking positive for his cricket. And obviously, um, like you said, we'll keep keep an eye out for all the Redback stuff that he does because yeah, I reckon he's he's going to go far and playing for the strikers like he is at the moment. He's yeah. He's doing well for himself. So, yeah, really, really great to chat to Thomas and another striker under the belt, which is always good um, and enjoyable. Yeah, it's it's crazy how we've had the whole strikers team almost. And if we segue on to our next couple of weeks, we've almost had the whole Tasmania team as well. Yeah, we have. I think we, we, we spoke about this and we only have like four or five more of the winning WNCL team last season to talk to because we've spoken to so many Tasmanians. But yeah, super exciting for the next couple of weeks because we have two of the Centurions who won the WNCL last season. Now, obviously, you would be aware because we've spoken about it multiple times, but Emma Mannix-Jeeves and Elise Villani scored 100s each to win the WNCL title. And we managed to speak to them back-to-back pretty much one day after another 
So yeah, it was pretty amazing to talk to them, wasn't it? Yeah, it certainly was. And obviously, you know, you being a South Australian, you, you did well to put on a brave face and interview both of those. And, you know, we talked at length about the WNCL final, but, you know, you were very professional in the way that you interviewed them both. Obviously, it wasn't a great day for you, but a great day for them. And they talked at length about it. And also, we obviously spoke to Emma about how the fact she obviously lost her contract and how she worked well to, to gain it back. We won't spoil too much for the interview, but, you know, speaking to both of those and obviously Elise Villani, a wonderful cricketer who's done quite a lot for Australian cricket not only just playing for them but just being almost the face of it as well and doing commentary and the like so it was great to speak to both of um, those absolute stars and we can't wait to uh, get the interviews out to you yeah I think it just works perfectly that those two were the two who scored the 100s and we've just got them like in in back-to-back episodes I think it's it's worked out pretty well hasn't it Uh, I really like how that's how it's going to happen in the next couple of weeks yeah definitely stay tuned for that it's it was lots of fun chatting to Emma and Elise but that pretty much wraps up this week's episode. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok at How's That TCP. You can send us an email at How's That The Cricket Podcast at gmail.com, or you can leave us a rating on Spotify as well, which would be greatly appreciated. But we hope you enjoyed this week's episode and thank you for listening. Thanks for listening, everyone. How's that? You missed the